All right, you can be seated. You don't have to turn there, but every week, every week I've, uh, one way or the other, at some point, quoted John 10.10. Most of us know that verse. It's uh, uh, that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life, life more abundant. Everybody say abundant life. I'm not necessarily one of those preachers, if you're visiting this morning, that makes you repeat everything I say. But I want, to, I want you to repeat that this morning. Abundant life. Some of your versions say life to the full. So I want you to go ahead and say that too. Okay, and I want you to repeat this whole phrase after me. Okay? <laughs> but you can do it sitting down. So that's good. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. means for me to have life to the full. It's good, isn't it? It's good news, and it's something that we have to be reminded of. Of course, you know, our vision statement is choosing the way, knowing the truth, and living the life of Jesus Christ, and the life that he has for us to live is a life that is full, a life that is content, a life that is satisfied, and a life of, um, of just being full of the Holy Spirit and full of him. And so I've been quoting that verse uh, every week. And, um, and I wanted us to, to start with that this morning and just know that God's desire for you and for me is that we would have a full life. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make sure that we are able to get it. And so when Jesus says, the thief came to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you, but I have come. And this is just a wonderful truth that we almost should probably repeat to ourselves Daily, I know I need to, even forgetting it over the last couple of days. Oh yeah, the life that God has for me is a full life, an abundant life, a life where I don't have to worry about um, tomorrow. You know what I mean? He's going to take care of me. If he, if he considers the, the lilies of the field and if he takes care of the birds, surely he's going to take care of me, whom he considers every day. Amen? And so another verse that we've, uh, we've been looking at, we're in a teaching series called The Fox. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining, some of your versions say spoiling, and some of your versions actually say destroying the vineyards. And I've talked about how that word vineyard right there and the whole idea of what that is, is our life, uh, our love for Christ. The enemy's trying to destroy that vineyard. Our love for Christ, trying to destroy, spoil that love, but also our life in Christ. And again, that life is a life that is full, content, satisfied, abundant. And so we are looking at that. Catch for us the foxes that are trying to spoil our love for Christ and our life in Christ while our vineyards are still in blossom. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at a list in Galatians chapter 5 that kind of indicates some small foxes, some little foxes that tend to creep into our life and take bites out of um, of our love for Christ and our life in Christ and try to rob from us or steal from us. So go ahead and turn to Galatians 5. And we actually are starting in, in verse 19. I had to give a bit of a recap there. Some, there's quite a few visitors this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are... And then he goes through this, this little list. And we're using this list as a list of foxes. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. And we covered those three all together at once. And we basically lumped them all together 
in the title uh, sexual perversion. Those three things are all perversions of what God means um, um, for, for sex and all that stuff. And then we talked about idolatry, number two. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about idolatry. And this morning is sorcery. <laughs> okay, so this morning we're going to talk about sorcery. And this is an interesting and difficult one because when we think of sorcery, some of your versions actually say witchcraft. When you think of that, you immediately get the idea of, of uh, some guy with a big tall hat and a beard, you know, zapping people with spells and throwing frogs into soup and all that kind of stuff, where you get an idea of this woman with a big nose and a giant wart on the side flying around with a broomstick. And so, am I wrong? You know what I mean? Witchcraft, sorcery. And so, when we come to a list like this in Scripture, we, we see something like sorcery and we think, oh, okay, let's move past that. And there's all kinds of other ones that we move past, too. But you look at this word, some of your versions say sorcery, some of your versions say witchcraft, and we immediately, because we don't fly around on brooms, we don't have a big black cauldron, is that what they call that thing? Where you're, you know, and you've got frogs and newts and eyes of whatever. And so we dismiss this, and, and listen, I understand that, uh, that Paul is talking to a unique audience of people, he's talking to the people of Galatia, he's talking to the the Jewish believers there that, that you know, have received Yeshua as Messiah and also to, the, to the, um, the Gentiles there whose previous life was all about those kinds of things, pagan worship, occultic practices. I understand that that's who he's writing to and I want you to understand that he is really writing to a target audience there. But it is in the word, that instruction is in the word that we are reading this morning and that we are studying. It is in the list that we are breaking down. And so my question that I've been asking uh, for the past couple weeks and that I want you guys to ask is how can this word sorcery, how can this um, part of the list apply to me? And so what I want to do is I want to start by just kind of defining what this word is, okay? And I think it's going to help us to see how this word, even though we're not a bunch of witches and warlocks in here, how this can apply to us. And that word sorcery, again, some of your versions say witchcraft, in the Greek is the word pharmakeia. Everybody say pharmakeia. It's, it's where we get the word pharmacy, okay? Okay, or pharmaceuticals or pharmacy. And listen, I am not about to ta- uh, attack the pharmaceutical world, okay? So relax if you're really into aspirin, you know? I love a good aspirin, okay? So don't, don't worry. You're not, you're, the medical field is not about to be attacked. But that is where we get that word. And so really the number one meaning of that word is the use or the administration of drugs, okay? Again, that's not necessarily talking about aspirin. It's really talking about mind-altering drugs, okay? Drugs that can jack with your psyche and make you not yourself, that can throw you uh, from a, for a loop. You guys know what I'm talking about? Illicit drugs, drugs like that. Because um, um, drugs were used, can be used back then, can still be used to cast spells over or to manipulate or to hurt. Um, in fact, the second definition of that word pharmakeia is, is poisoning, Okay, so you kind of get the idea that it's not, it's not necessarily attacking drugs that can possibly help someone get over a headache here. Okay, I don't know if they had those drugs then. Maybe they did. Okay, but um, the use of or administrating of drugs, poisoning, that's another uh, definition of it. The third definition or usage of that word, and we're talking about the Greek usage here, is like witchcraft, magical arts. Basically, if you want to, if you're taking notes, you can just write all things occult. Okay? All things occult. So when, when Paul is writing this to the Galatians, he's basically saying um, 
all things occult should not be uh, practiced among you for the believers. That's not, that's not becoming, that is not fitting of someone who has received Jesus Christ. And then the last definition is more of a metaphorical using, uh, usage in that language. And it's metaphorical for the deceptions and the seductions of idolatry. Which makes sense because it is listed right after what? Idolatry. Okay, so this is really, um, in light of that, the metaphorical usage, and that's probably what he's using, probably magical arts, witchcraft, occult, things like that, and then the metaphorical usage in that, in that vernacular of the deceptions and the seductions of idolatry. And let me tell you, we talked about idolatry a couple of weeks ago, and we, we listed several different ways that the enemy can come in with his little foxes and draw us away with lesser things from God Almighty. And we know in the Ten Commandments that God doesn't like that, right? He doesn't want our attention away from Him. Um, because lesser things are lesser things, but He is the greatest, the greatest thing. Amen? And so what I want you to do really quick is turn to Deuteronomy 18. And I want you to turn there because I want you to mark it so that you can go back and read over it another time. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18. And what we're going to see here is a kind of a complete list of the New Testament meaning of this word, okay? So right here it lists sorcery, which can be really pinpointed, like I say, um, this is the word pharmakeia. And so you could say, oh, sorcery is just the whole drugs thing. But listen, because of the metaphoric usage of it, the deceptions and, and seductions of idolatry, it's really more than just that. And here in Deuteronomy 18 is where you get the kind of the full meaning of how Paul would have used this word. You guys with me? Y'all looking forward to this? Good. It says in verse 9, Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 9. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you. By the way, uh, several chapters before, God's like getting them ready for the promised land. Okay? You guys have been wandering the desert for 40 years. Y'all missed it back there at the golden calf. You know what I mean? You've been wandering in the desert. Uh, desert for 40 years, you're about to go into the land that I promised you, and I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. And let me just say, I've said this um, since January when we started this theme for the year, Be Found Faithful. We have been in a place of entering into the land that the Lord has for us. Okay? This this land of abundance. I'm not necessarily talking about financial, though, Lord, let it be. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay? I'm just talking about the full life that He has for us. Amen? Okay, God's been doing some great things. Uh, Marvin, uh, Nick mentioned that Marv and I and, and Nick just met together as elders and we were doing some praying and some planning. And we were just listing. And in staff, every week, we just list all these things, all these people that God's doing amazing things in. And the list is growing. We're having to thank the Lord for more and more and more people every week because of the things that, that God's doing. He's bring people, bringing people into His land. And so it's good. So when you enter that land, okay, we're coming into that land. God is bringing us there. And he's saying, just like the people of Israel, finally going to go into the promised land. When you enter that land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. Okay? Now, our coming into the land isn't necessarily that we're literally moving to another nation. But let me make sure that we understand that we are moving into a place of, of, um, of kingdom greater kingdom activity. And so when that happens, we are in this world, but we can't be of it. And so there's a sense of the same thing. As we go further with the Lord, we've got to be mindful of the nations around us or the culture around us. He says, There shall not be 
found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. In other words, burn them on the altar. Now, you guys got to get that. Okay, listen, we can't be burning people on altars. This is just out of place. I just want you to know that. No, that's crazy because we would never do that. Okay, so but that was the first one, but we'll move on. Um, shall not be burning people on altars of fire. Okay, but also there should not be found among you anyone who uses divination, anyone who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up from the dead. And I actually have a breakdown of those things. I didn't break, down, break them down all, all the way. Uh, the NLT talks about practices witchcraft, which basically, well, you guys get that. A soothsayer, a soothsayer, that's basically that, like the same thing as um, really leaning on astrology, and you know, like an astrologist, um, that whole astrology thing, okay? I may be busting some bubbles this morning, but at least I'm not the one doing it. It's God's word, Okay. <laughs> Soothsayers, okay, practices witchcraft, soothsayers, uh, fortune tellers, tarot card readers, crystal balls, uh, tea leaf readers, palm readers, Ouija boards, those kinds of things. Um, um, uh, In fact, I heard a a story back in the 90s of this homeless man who was robbing graves to get skulls because there uh, there was some sort of weird cultish thing that was buying them, paying $4,000 a skull so that they could use them in their weird, whacked out practices. And so there's this homeless guy who was like, dang, you know what I mean? He's robbing graves, getting these skulls and be like, you know, I don't know. He got caught and got in trouble. So, but anyway, so um, sorcerer, again, that, that ultimately um, applies to someone that uses drugs and, and things like that as to mix potions and to hurt people and to um, alter their state of consciousness so that they can manipulate them, those kinds of things. Uh, one who conjures up spells. Um, and really that talks about charming, uh, doing charms and these little blessings and these little things. And those gods are like, if it's not a blessing in my name, then it's not good. Does that make sense? Um, a medium is someone that is basically kind of stands between the spiritual world and the real world. You might call them a psychic. You might call them whatever. And then I guess the last in this list is um, one who calls up people from the dead and tries to talk to them. And so there's all kinds of things that we probably don't do any of those things, Okay. But, um, but God says these things are not good. It says, for whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them. Let me back up. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out of the land. And then he, in verse 13, he gives this, this um, command. He says, you, and this is right after this list. He says, you shall be blameless before the Lord. He says, you shall be blameless before the Lord. For those nations which, shall, uh, which you shall dispossess, listen to those who, do not listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do these things. So hear that. This list of things, the Lord said, he says, the Lord has not allowed you to do things. What you can do, verse 13, is you can be blameless before the Lord. We hear a word like blameless and we're like, oh man, see, that's the problem. I can never be blameless. The reading of that word or the rendering of that word literally means to be complete or to be full. Whenever Paul and Peter and those guys in the New Testament talk about being full of the Holy Spirit, 
That's the kind of indication that he's talking about. So right here he says, your job is to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be full of God, to live a life that is full, a life that is abundant, a life that is satisfied, a life of the Spirit. You guys tracking with me? And see, this is really important for us. This is what the enemy is coming to rob from us, is that full life that he has. And so you see that right there, and that right there really encompasses that whole New Testament definition of sorcery. Remember? Because it's the metaphor of the deception and the seductions of idolatry, things that will lead people away from that full life. And the Lord says, I don't like that. That's why he doesn't like it. It's because it draws people away. Some of you may be familiar with uh, that whole scene with Samuel in First, uh, first Samuel where um, Samuel disobeys the Lord. and um, I'm sorry, where Saul disobeys the Lord and Samuel comes to Saul and says, you know what? Rebellion is the same as the sin of divination or rebellion is, is equal uh, is equal to witchcraft. And so it's the whole idea of rebellion. We, a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, we did this whole thing about, um, uh, I taught on rebellion and resisting rebellion. And I told you then, rebellion is basically a turning away from. A turning away from. God doesn't want us to turn away from it. We also talked about rebellion is a breach of trust. When we aren't trusting the Lord. My wife and I have been t- having this conversation because I'm in and out of trusting the Lord during this whole move. You know what I mean? I'm like, sometimes I'm freaking out. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to move? Because we sold our house and we're moving to Tyler. Yay! Poop. You know? But in the midst of that, I find myself going, oh gosh, where are we going to do? And Melissa's like, are you trusting the Lord or not? He's been leading us. It's like, oh yeah. So the idea of rebellion is, is, is a turning away from and also a breach of trust. And he says, that kind of an attitude is the same thing as witchcraft, as sorcery. Why? Because all of those things are a not trusting of the Lord. In fact, I wrote this down. Sorcery is like the act of seeking counsel, provision, and protection from sources other than the Lord. Okay, so think of it. This is where it starts applying to us, isn't it? Sorcery is like the act of seeking counsel from other sources, provision from other sources, protection from other sources than the Lord. And if you're writing things down, we can write it this way. We practice sorcery. When we go looking for the fullness of life from somewhere other than Christ. Okay, and that's just the truth of it. We practice sorcery. Not that we walk around with big hats on and grow our beards out and have a little cane that we can hit somebody upside the head with. Or stir frogs and stuff in cauldrons. But the idea that metaphorical uses that Paul is using... Combining all that stuff, ultimately the act of rebellion, turning away from, a breach of trust, we practice sorcery when we go looking for the fullness of life from some other place than Christ Himself. And that's a really hard truth. That's why this sorcery is attached real closely to idolatry. That's why they're listed there close together. And I want to show you um, in Scripture, go ahead and turn to chapter, uh, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to show you just a, something from one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. We practice sorcery when we go looking for the fullness of life somewhere other than Christ. And that's exactly why God forbids it. He wants us to be made complete. He wants us to be made whole. Hope you're not checking out on me because this is like, this is the stuff. He wants us to be made complete. He wants us to be made whole. In Him, in Him alone. I'm turning the air conditioner on. Because I'm just warming up. No. 
Acts chapter 8. If you're familiar with this scene, this is where Scripture, scripture uh, introduces Simon the magician, Simon Magus. And I shared some of these thoughts a couple of years ago as we were going through the book of Acts. It says, chapter 8, verse 9 of Acts. Now there was a man named Simon. Some of your versions say Simon Magus. Who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria. Claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, that means everybody, poor, rich, famous, not famous, bozos, not bozos. We're giving attention to him, saying of Simon Magus, This man is called the great power of God. And it says that they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. Okay, The magic arts that they're talking about is literally that part of the definition that says witchcraft, magical arts, the uh, all things occult. Okay, So you can say, some of your versions actually call him Simon the Sorcerer. He was the guy that encompassed all these things that we just read about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This guy was, you know, in the witch world, he was the bomb. You know what I mean? He had it going for him. He knew how to do all this stuff, and it says he was mesmerizing or astonishing all of the people. Okay, I want to read you something. I read this a couple years ago about this guy because this helps us understand what's going on. This is uh, from Justin Martyr. Some of you know him. He's a first century apologist. Um, uh, 150 years or so after, after this whole incident, he was alive writing about a guy named Simon. There was a Samaritan, Simon, a native of the village called Gaito, or Gitto, who in the reign of Claudius Caesar and in the royal city of Rome did mighty acts of magic by virtue of the arts of the devils operating in him. In other words, um, Justin Martyr was saying this guy was demon-possessed. He was considered a god, and as a god was honored with a statue, which was put up on the river Tiber between the two bridges and bore this inscription in the language of Rome, to Simon, a holy God. Okay, so this guy's already off, right? Idolatry is going on. It says that he persuaded those who adhered to him or stuck with him, followed him, that they should never die. Like they will never die. It's so interesting, promising eternal life. Abundant life, the things that Jesus himself says, I've come to bring those things. And even now there are some living who hold this opinion of his and call themselves Christian. And so Justin is saying they're actually Christ followers who are following some of the philosophies of this guy. And we don't have to go into it, but, but Simon Magus, they, uh, it's, a lot of scholars believe that this guy went on to spread some major false doctrines of the church. Some false doctrines that still are going on today. All the way back to this guy that we just thought was a little card trick player. But he was a pretty serious guy. He was a pretty powerful sorcerer. Okay? And I want to stop right there because I want you to notice that it says that he was astonishing. It says that he was astonishing all the people. That word astonishing means to throw out of position. He was wigging these people out. He was throwing them out of position. It also means to lose senses or to bewitch. He was bewitching these people with all his tricks, with all of his stuff, all the things that he was able to do. He was causing these people to lose their senses, which is, in essence, what the word pharmakeia means, isn't it? To make you lose your things, drugs, situations that can make you lose your senses. That's what he's doing. He's astonishing the people, throwing people out of position. And I I was reading that and reminding myself of some of these things. And I thought, that is exactly what the enemy's doing. 
We are in this position of coming into the land, coming into the fullness of Christ, being found faithful, walking in the abundance of life. We are headed that way, and the enemy with his little foxes, his little things, comes and tries to throw us out of that position and get us going this way again. And that's what he's doing. He's astonishing the people, throwing them out of position. Okay? Now, um, I was going to give a real quick modern definition of the word sorcery. It's basically the use of supernatural powers over people which is exactly what he was doing. The use of supernatural powers over people to manipulate them, to get them to do what he wants them to do. Basically, um, witchcraft and all those things we just listed in Deuteronomy. And so, let me just pause right here really quick too and just say, and write this down and I'll explain what I mean. Followers of Christ must be careful not to revel or celebrate in things of the occult. Okay? I mean, while we're here, while we're talking about it, Followers of Christ must be careful not to revel in the things of the occult. Okay? Now, I know most of us aren't, we don't own a Ouija board. We don't get it out on Saturdays. We don't have pizza parties and and practice Ouija boards and stuff like that. Let me just say this. I think one of the, the main ways that believers are engaging in occultish kind of things is the movies they watch. Okay? Uh, I'll just say it like that. I think we as believers really need to be careful of the movies that we're watching because a lot of the movies, the scary movies, the whatever, um, I'm not so much talking about um, thrillers like psychological thrillers, you know, um, I can't think of any right now, but the ones that are like, whoa, like, ugh, you know what I mean? When we watch those, we're kind of indirectly, unknowingly participating in occultish kinds of things and it, it affects our spirit. It, what does it do? It throws us out of position. How many of you have ever left a movie so freaked out out of your mind that you could barely even function? Nobody in here? Really? Okay, wow. I'm going to go next door to that church. because. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it a lot, but be careful of the kinds of movies that you're watching. Also, video games. There's video games that are all about all kinds of stuff. And we think, oh, it's just fun, it's fun. Well... We don't really have too many Simon Magises around these days. Walking street from street, hey, let me astonish you, let me mesmerize you, let me throw you out of position. That's not the way the enemy's working anymore, okay? We have a different type of entertainment world, okay? And it's media, and so the enemy is using media big time to bring that into our homes and into our hearts, amen? So you can do with that what you want to. Um, got to be careful not to rebel or celebrate those things. By the way, rebel rhymes with devil, so don't do it. <laughs> so look what it says. It says that he was astonishing the people of Samaria. This is important too because there's a picture of what the Samaritan people are. If you know anything about Samaria or the Samaritan people, they were people of kind of a dual worship ship. Worship ship. You know what I mean? They were half Gentile, half Jew. Part Gentile, some of their background had to do with the occult, had to do with all these weird practices. But there was a part of them that was Jewish that had an understanding of Jehovah God and knew that the Messiah was coming. You guys remember the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. That's, that's the one place where Jesus talked about worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And he's having this whole conversation. It's not about this mountain or about this. Worshiper, my worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. He was talking to a Samaritan woman trying to straighten out her, her worship issues. The Samaritan people truly, I think, had worship issues. They were divided in their worship. They were familiar with pagan gods, familiar with worship of, um, of weird stuff. But they were also 
kind of had their eyes out for a Jewish Messiah. And so this is a people who are already kind of divided in their worship. And I, you can write this down if you want to. The enemy was using Simon to keep the half-hearted Samaritans from becoming wholehearted Christians. Okay, because there was a big move uh, of the gospel in that area too. That's why you go on to read, and uh, we know that um, Philip and some of those other guys uh, were down there ministering. Okay, they were going there, bringing the gospel. Why? Because those Samaritans were close. Why? Because they had an understanding a little bit of Messiah. And so they're going to tell them about Jesus, who was the Messiah. But there, the enemy had sent this fox, this little fox, to mix them up even more, to divide their hearts. He was trying to keep those half-hearted Samaritans from com- becoming wholehearted Christians. And this is what the enemy's still trying to do. He's trying to keep half-hearted followers of Christ. Because listen, if he can keep people from coming to the Lord, he will do that. And we've talked about this. He's trying to keep people from knowing Jesus Christ. He's trying to accomplish that. If he can keep people from becoming wholly saved, then he'll do it. But he's also just as content from by um, keeping people from becoming wholly devoted to Christ. You guys hear what I'm saying? Remember on Easter we talked about that. Natural attraction versus spiritual devotion. And so that's what he's up to. If the enemy wasn't able to distract us from coming to God through salvation, then he will try to divert us from coming to him for counsel, for provision, for protection. Anytime he can draw us away from depending upon the Lord, he will do it. Look what it says in verse 10. Smallest to greatest were giving attention to him. And like I said, I shared this a couple of years ago, or something very close to this. It says, smallest to greatest, all classes of people were giving attention to him. And just out of curiosity, a couple of years ago, I was studying. We were doing a deep study of this. And I studied that word out. And that word, attention, number one definition is addiction. The number one definition of that word, attention, is addiction. It's like the people were becoming addicted to this guy and his stuff. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that we're becoming addicted to witchcraft and all those kinds of things, but it just reminds me of the, of the, the word uh, witchcraft or sorcery. It's the word what? Pharmakeia. People get addicted to what all the time? Drugs. Most of us in this room are not addicted to drugs. I get that. And here's the point I would like to make this morning. The Lord wants us to be fully devoted to Him. The Lord wants us to be complete and whole in Him. So anything in our life that would draw us away and have a piece of that pie, if you will, it's it's like we're dabbling in that metaphorical meaning of pharmacia. It doesn't have to be drugs. It doesn't have to be alcohol. Although, you know what? While we're here, you know, um, Galatians 5.21, or just a couple of down on the list, talks about drunkenness and revelings, and then it says, and such like. Isn't that interesting? In, in verse 21, we're in verse 20, 5.20, where it talks about witchcraft, idolatry. But just the next verse, it says, and also drunkenness, Revelings, which we talked about how that's just a, a celebrating and just kind of crazy, like, ah, oh, going crazy. And then it says, and such like. And so it like leaves it open-ended, doesn't it? It could be anything. Anything that could, could be used as a small fox in our life to draw us away from the worship of the Lord. 
So we look at the word sorcery and we don't have to think, oh, I better not get me a cape and fly around on a broom and start twirling things around a pot. That's what the enemy would like us to do, look over that and forget that there's other things. There's other things that would divert our attention from the worship of the Lord. And listen, I was, you know, that word addiction is huge here. Listen, and I shared this a couple years ago. Addiction is a catch-all term. In fact, it's up here. Addiction is a catch-all term for a complex behavioral disorder. The most obvious symptom is that addicts reach a point where they cannot control their own actions. Even when they can see the harm, they continue the compulsive behavior. The inability to stop more than any other attribute marks addiction. It's like, wow. Okay, so that, that just totally widened the list, didn't it? It just took it from witchcraft and Ouija boards to anything, just like Paul did, and such like. What are the things that we can't stop doing? They don't even have to be intrinsically evil. I just can't stop doing it. I couldn't stop. If you asked me today, stop doing that, I couldn't stop doing it. You know what I mean? I don't even have to share a list because the list is endless. What in your life, if somebody said, stop doing that today, and you couldn't, that could be something that's an area in your life. And obviously there are those things that, are, that we like to point to and beat people up. Well, I, you know, we like to beat people over the head with our Bibles about drinking or about, you know, whatever. It's like, ain't nothing wrong with a glass of wine. Shut up. It's when you can't stop drinking that it becomes a problem. We understand that. If you don't, you need to reassess. You know? It's like I think about um, something that's huge in this culture, video games. Ain't nothing wrong with video games. I like a good Mario game every now and then. You know, Pac-Man rocks. But it's when you can't stop. You've just entered into a whole other world where the Lord's like, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. You spend more time doing that than you do following me. You are depending upon this, uh, this um, thing to offer you comfort. We're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit who is our counselor and comforter. Amen. You guys see what I'm saying here? You know, you zone out or veg out with this. God's like, if you're going to zone out and veg out, veg out with me, the Spirit, and the Word. You hear what I'm saying? Maybe that's kind of a hard thing to reconcile in our brain because it's so obscure. But I don't know that it's as obscure as we think it is. Addiction is a nasty business. Deliberately enslaving people while they pretend they choose the product. Did you hear that? Addiction is a nasty business. Deliberately enslaving people while they pretend they chose or choose the product. And then one little thing. Addiction is compelling, or is a compelling, destructive involvement because it detracts from other areas of people's lives and forces them to rely solely on the addictive experience for ultimate satisfaction. These are clinical definitions of, of addiction. You see how they apply to what we're talking about? Forces them to rely solely on the addictive experience for ultimate satisfaction. What did we just read all the way back in Deuteronomy? You must be blameless, complete, full, satisfied. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? I have come that you may have life abundantly, life to the full, life content, life satisfied. So there's this little subtle thing right there in the middle of a list, right in Galatians 5, 
that points to, or kind of, kind of if you dig it out, it's like, oh, really jacks with our worship. If the enemy can convince us that lesser things can counsel and comfort better than the Holy Spirit, he has divided our hearts and weakened our worship. Let me say that again. If the enemy can convince us that lesser things, you fill in the list, if lesser things can counsel and comfort us better than the Holy Spirit, then he has divided our hearts and weakened our worship. Amen? What, did it, what was sorcery listed right after? Idolatry. What is idolatry? The worship of other gods. We talked about that two weeks ago. Let's stand. Remember what I said. God wants us to live our lives to the full. He sent His Son, went through all that process so that we would have life to the full. This is one of those messages where it's like, man, ah, ah, what do you do with that message? You just look introspective. You look deeper in your life. You search it out. You dig it out. You see if there's anything that's causing you to wonder or stray or any attention that's diverted from the Lord or any area that's, that just seems to be really high focus in your life, especially over any focus of the Lord. Is there any condemnation? No. Condemnation is from the enemy. Can there be conviction? Yes. What do we do? We respond to conviction by what? Confessing to the Lord, Lord, I have made this thing so important in my life. I can't believe I even did it, but I have. Will you forgive me? I place you in the highest place today. I changed my direction. I changed my focus. I have, been, I have been knocked out of position, but Lord, today I'm saying I am getting back on track. Amen? If you feel comfortable, just lift a hand to